I'm Heather Fleming, founder of In Purpose Educational Services and author of the book, My Black Friend Says. And I'm Delaney Ray, the coordinator of the LEAP Institute. So what do we do now, Heather? Same thing we've always done, Delaney. Keep fighting for an equitable world. This time in a podcast. Welcome to the Listen, Learn, Love podcast, where comfortable friends chat about uncomfortable topics. Let's do it. So, Heather. Yes, Delaney. We went on our first road trip together two days ago. I know. I was nervous. I'm going to be honest. I was like, really? Well, I was like, you know, what if, what if we can't find like music choices? That we agree with. Come to find out, we didn't even listen to music. We just talked the whole time. Well, everybody loves polka. No. (laughs) Oh, my bad. We didn't. We just, we did. I don't even think we had anything turned on. We just talked. Well, we talked all the way to our destination, but then we were a little more subdued after like eight straight hours of intense emotional I'm I still know. trying to woosah. <laughs> that was woosah. We, we were processing on that two-hour drive home. But you know that to me is also the mark of good friends, great friends. When you know the silence is is okay too. It's comfortable. As and you well. know, you know what else was a sign of good friends? What's that? We totally snack the same and respect each other's snacks because. <laughs> Here's the sad part. It was it was like what five thirty or six. We stop at a gas station for dinner. We both get slim gems, and I'm like, "Are you gonna judge if I eat chicharrones on the way home?" And you're like, "Why would I? I'm gonna nosh on sunflower seeds." And I was like, "Oh, I have some sunflower seeds in the back." Like we were so fine with it. It it was so. Needless to say, we are great traveling companions. However, however. Wow. We need a better destination. We sure do, girl. We sure do. So we went down to Jefferson City for the Joint Committee on Education's um, um, hearings. It was a hearing about uh, so-called CRT, critical race theory. Yeah. And wow. There's so much to unpack here. I have... So here's the things I that are on the top of my head. Mm-hmm. And then I would love for you to like run with them. Okay. One witnessing firsthand how one-sided and unfair this um hearing was set up to be. Two, yes. the absolute confusion between CRT and DEI. Where the lines are, where the lines blur, and using, in my opinion, it sounded like using this term CRT to um, to to kind of invalidate all DEI across the board, and then three, I think another huge thing to unpack, and I'm going to say it because I know you, and if I don't say it, you will get all like weird about it right so here it is heather was freaking amazing heather had applause heather has state reps asking for contact information and for follow-up interviews and and you were amazing and and i've known this about you for a long time and so for me to be able to see other people 
acknowledging how much you have to say and you have and, and the way that you say it is so accessible and kind. Uh, kind maybe isn't the nice word. Yeah, kind, but not nice. You say you say the truth. You speak the truth, but you truly are an amazing person inside and out. And and I think people love that. I love that. So you really want to talk me through another anxiety attack. Is that what you're trying to do? <laughs> well, if we have For to. everyone, right before we recorded, I got some news. It's really good news, but it sent me into a total anxiety attack because, and I really do think people like, are, I, I keep trying to express this to people that I, on one hand, I want the work and I want whatever I do and say towards the work to be, you know, amplified. But on the other hand, I am really uncomfortable with being um, the center of attention. And so it's like a it's like a weird um, place to be because of the fact that, you know, I speak my truth and I speak my experience. But when people applaud me for it, I'm like, no, 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 no applause. No, um, it's just really weird. So Delaney had to talk me through an, an anxiety attack, um, like a pretty big one, too. I haven't had one that big in a really long time. It was impressive. <laughs> Thank you. I rank it an eight out of ten. You, you didn't pass out. You didn't pass out. That would get you to a ten. <laughs> <laughs> just barely because at one point I was like oh my god my head is spinning um, so it just it, moving on from that yeah I don't want to talk about that here's what I want to talk about is that yes number one the first thing was that it was completely one-sided everyone that they invited in first of all it was this um, doctor um, what's her name Mary Byrne and the connections that she was making, I was just like, wow, you had to do a lot of mental gymnastics in order to make those connections. But then I think what, what really upset me is that, you know, she, she made it sound very um, plausible and very um, educated because she she backed it up with, you know, oh, here's my research on this. But it was so tenuous every single connection, like connecting critical race theory with Marxism, because she picked out a few key words that someone who was following Marx's doctrine said, and then tried to compare to something that someone said about critical race theory. And it's like, if we did that, then there's a lot of um, connections we can make. You know what I'm saying? We could make a connection between Satanist and any movement because of the fact that Satanists have nice things to say. It's like as the six well. degrees of bacon, you know, like yeah. every, everything is six degrees or less from something else. Yeah. You know, and I mean, it was just so it was awful. But then after that, it was um, they we heard testimony from the representative from Desi. And that's the Department of Elementary and Secondary Education. And needs to say, I I was not personally satisfied with with his testimony. And the main reason why I'll just go ahead and say it is because <clears throat> I don't think he he stood strong. I think he was trying so hard to be non-political 
that he was also non-positional. He, he didn't, yes. he didn't take a position. And so like clearly explaining, here's what Dusty's role is. Like I could have got up there and said, when we think, Talk about schools. Here's Desi's role. So Desi's role is that they are the certifying body for the state. And so like my teaching certificate, et cetera, runs through Desi. If I do something egregious as a teacher that goes against the ethical standards, et cetera, that, that they take, my employer can apply for sanctioning from Desi to remove my certification. All right. Desi Issues is also responsible for issuing guidelines for schools to follow as far as our standards that we use to determine. So like Desi will enter and say, hey, we need to be teaching critical thinking skills in this particular area. They're not going to tell us how to do that. They're not going to say you need to do it with this, you know, this book, that book and that book through this lesson plan. And so. It's up to to the schools to create curriculum around these standards that they issue because they issue the standards because that's what they're going to test. So that's the other role of DESE is that they administer the Missouri um, Assessment Program or MAP program. And so they okay. create these tests based upon the standards that they have issued. Those standards usually align with federal standards. Okay, and then they send out to schools and they say, here's what you need to do. And so they also are the ones that go in and certify the districts. Mm -hmm. And so if a district is not meeting certain qualifications, then Desi can go in and say, hey, you've got to do better. That's what we saw happening with like Normandy and um you know, with St. Louis Public Schools, et cetera, over the last few years. That was all Desi's responsibility. That would not that was not clear. No, no, you just gave me a much more thorough understanding than anything I took from his testimony. So why is someone who's there to represent Desi unable to clearly explain to these people what Desi does and their role in it. Like, you know, they started asking about, well, when this happened in, in Rockwood, what did you do? It wasn't Desi's role. Correct. To do anything in that district. And so that's what he could have easily said. It is not our role to get involved with personal, with, you know, disciplinary issues, personnel issues within any particular district, unless we are going through a decertification process for that particular teacher. Mm -hmm. It would have been so easy for him to say, but nope, didn't. So then after that came the um, parents, various parents from a few different school districts. I, my school, my child's school district was represented. Your child's school district was represented. There was a few others, about four or I five. I don't think there was anyone directly from Rockwood. Really? Right. No. Okay. Well, I know there was one from Francis Howell. There was so, Francis Howell. There was the, the teacher from Clayton. No, the Web- teacher from Webster. Webster Groves. Lindbergh. No, it was the teacher from Kansas City. It was a a former parent from Webster Groves and then Lindbergh. Who was the one guy? 
the Head guy was the, 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 the former parent. Well, but how did he know about? I thought he was a teacher because he was talking about in his testimony how about professional development and how he didn't like profess the professional development. That is why one of the women we were there with who is a current teacher within that school district was so angry because she felt like there were things being said and listened to that from her experience as a current active teacher in that school district were flat out falsifications. And that, Delaney, is ultimately through all of that testimony, ultimately what bothered me is that we didn't have just people. We had a bunch of people giving their opinions, but some of the things that they stated were just flat out falsehoods. And there was a lot of fear mongering. A lot of fear mongering. One of the problems I have with how the whole thing played out and with this entire just anger and hatred towards CRT is this. We heard some stories, anecdotal stories of a teacher or a particular assignment that was a very upsetting and horrifying to students. Now, I can't speak to whether it was or was not. We all feel things differently. What I do know 100% from being a parent is that what my children come home and tell me is not always exactly what happened. There are two sides to every story. The truth is in the middle. And if my child came home from school and was really emotionally upset about an assignment or something a teacher said, yes, I would definitely investigate as all parents should. If there are teachers out there who are causing harm by, by um, saying, teaching things or giving assignments that are truly harming students, then I, even as a DEI professional doing this job, working with you, I want to know about it. I want that stopped. That doesn't help our cause at all. That doesn't, that doesn't make progress in, in diversity and equity and inclusion in our schools. If that is actually happening, I would want to know as well. But what, what's happening here is that everything's just getting thrown out. There's these stories. They're not really well backed up. They're throwing out the name CRT, even though the things that they talked about and complained about weren't actually CRT. It, it's like everybody's upset and angry, but nobody really knows at, at what. At you, what? You and I have done so many training sessions together. I have witnessed how you teach and how you work with people. I have never once seen anyone leave in tears or even anger or upset. I've never seen any of our discussion groups even turn uncomfortable. Can that happen? Absolutely. Is is that what is the intention of teaching DEI? No, not at no. all. Here's the Here's what I saw. I saw a bunch of people that told stories about their children being uncomfortable and took it and ran with it. So as a black mom with black children, when you hear parents emotionally asking for all of these changes and, and being allowed. So let's, let me back that up. When you see white parents being allowed to have the microphone in front of our Missouri state legislators to tell their story about their children being uncomfortable, 
without one single mention of what children of color, and I'm going to say specifically African-American children, because really in our society, that is a very distinct experience. There was no mention of any damage done to African-American children. And there wasn't one single African-American voice. There was one voice of a person who was non-white, but there was not one African-American voice included in this discussion. So, yeah, you know, I mean, how did I feel? I was I was very angry because that is that it was an excellent point. At no point did anyone mention black children. At no point did anyone mention any of the other black and brown groups that are also children in the state of Missouri. Like, for instance, one, I think he was a senator, Selvin found out his name went on and on about the mental health of children having to hear about racism. Well, sweetheart, what about the mental health of children having to experience racism? You know? And so, and here's the part, like if I ever do get the chance to testify, one of the things I will talk about, and I've talked about it before on this podcast, my daughter was in fifth grade. The first time she was called the N word to her face. That's from a child that had not learned how egregious that word is. Or if they had learned, they hadn't learned that they shouldn't say it. They hadn't experienced any consequences from saying it. And so right there, I thought about the fact that, huh, what would have happened to my daughter if the people who took care of that situation had not been trained in DEI and had not been taught a certain level of cultural competency. Because see, right now, even though that is a memory from my daughter's fifth grade, she still has so many other memories, right? I was in second grade the first time I was called the N-word. That's all I remember from second grade. Mm. And the reason why is because it was dealt with so poorly. Because my mom and my dad were enraged. Mm -hmm. That's all I remember from second grade. Third grade, all I remember was being paddled by Miss Davis. Because a little boy called me the N-word and I hit him and all she saw was me hitting him and I'm the one that got in trouble. He didn't get into any trouble. I'm making a list of these names. I'm coming for you. (laughs) I mean, we can like go on and on. Seventh grade, the biggest memory of mine from seventh grade is a teacher telling my mother that a C was good enough for a black student. Hmm. You see what I'm saying? I absolutely. So don't sit and talk to me about the damage done to some white child because they have to learn that there were laws made that disadvantaged black people. When I'm living proof of how racism, you know, works and has worked on count, you know, millions of black children in schools. I'm just lucky that my parents, you know, I had the I had the type of parents and the type of ambition or whatever you may you know want to count it that. I pushed through the trauma, but don't don't think for a second that I wasn't traumatized. A sign of trauma 
is when you can't remember the other stuff. And so, yeah, it just it infuriated me. I was disappointed and I expressed this at the press conference afterwards. I was just disappointed on so many levels. And I'm going to be honest the the educators were the ones that scared me the most. And the reason why is because parents can sit back in their home and they can yik yak and talk all the smack they want to, but they don't impact entire, you know, an entire class of kids or an entire huge grouping, multiple classes of kids. And so the teachers to hear them saying this stuff and to be so like, like the, the one from Kansas city that sat and talked about how, you know, she's colorblind. You're a special education teacher. If one of the things that you should know as a special education teacher is that all kids cannot be treated the same. Right. They cannot. It's unfair to treat all kids the same. That doesn't help anyone. That's the equivalent of saying that every child in your in your special education program, you don't see or acknowledge that they have different needs and different needs. People cling to this idea of I, I'm colorblind. I can't be racist. Well, for starters, you're not really colorblind. I am pretty sure anyone that looks at a picture of you, me, and Katie sees that we are not all the same person. We're not all the right? same like, person. Anybody at all. you you know you know immediately looking at the three of us, we have very different backgrounds. So but you're here's not, the, you're here's not the colorblind. Cool part. Here's the cool part about it. And this is what really angers me too about some of the things that they say. We could not be closer for four individuals, because we include Chris as well, for four t- individuals with totally different different bra- backgrounds. Look, I'm so upset I can't even get the words out. Words are hard. <laughs> um, you know, for four individuals with totally different backgrounds, totally different experiences, totally different stories based upon a variety of things, socioeconomics, religion, race, sexual orientation, all of that. For four individuals with totally different experiences, we could not be closer. And the reason why is because we have done the work to learn how to love one another and to bring each other's experience together in the same space and to respect it. And that's what people that it's so when people are sitting there talking about, well, it's so divisive. No, what it is, is it's uncomfortable for you to try to make other people more comfortable in that space. And that it's not it's a it's a um, it's it's selfish. If you want to know my my absolute truth, it's selfish. And what I heard when I listened to that entire testimony was a bunch of people saying it's okay for me to be selfish and to not have to share and to not have to learn and to not have to be better. Right. On that note, I want to bring up one of the comments made in there. Okay. There was one of the gentlemen who said that children are coming home from the classrooms I think it was one of the gentlemen embarrassed to be white and hating their skin color. And here's, here's what happened. Here's where my brain went with that. For one, where does that leave everyone who is biracial? 
And for two, I'm only confusing beige. And I remember in school, in grade school, I lived in Florida, being called ape, being called monkey. I remember a group of my friends, and it would have been second or third grade friends, right? A group of my friends voting me the ugliest girl. And I've carried the ugly duckling syndrome with me from that. And it's not until my adult mind looked back on it and remembered every other one of those girls had a very different look than I did, right? Mm -hmm. Like, And so for me, I just believed them. Somehow they knew I was the ugliest kid. And I, I just, okay. And all I am is biracial, confusing beige. <laughs> and I carried that with me for decades. I mean, probably somewhat still. So now that we are having to have these discussions and talk about this, I have, you're, you're worried about children coming home and being embarrassed of being white. What about all of the children who were raised not seeing their skin color, their hair represented in any of the books in school, the teachers in school, the administrators in school? You know, I was really lucky. I was only in sixth grade when I had my first black teacher. Now, I'm not sure I ever had a Hispanic teacher, maybe in high school, but never in, in, in elementary or grade school. But I was really lucky that I did have my first black teacher in, well, I guess now it would be middle school. Back then it was still elementary because I am sixth I'm, grade. I'm, yeah, I'm old and we did yeah. junior high, right? <laughs> like it was different. <laughs> so I hope not. I hope that no child is coming home embarrassed of their skin color, of any color. But I know that for decades, for hundreds of years, children who didn't have white skin have been embarrassed by their skin. So this needs to be part of the conversation. And that's the thing about it is that that was the other part that that the other message that came out of this is, listen, we're okay with the damage done to black and brown children as long as it's not done to our precious children. And that was another thing that was infuriating to me as a parent. You know, I'm not okay with any child being treated that way. I'm not okay with any child being taught that way. And so that also was my philosophy, you know, as a, an educator, I, I'm just not okay with that. I see and your so white my, students. And you see, you, your, your you white see, students are all over Facebook. They love you. Chris is a former student of mine. They, and, and <laughs> what's funny is I used to argue with them almost every day. Oh my gosh, they were so stubborn, but I was stubborn too. So guess what? We butted heads so much, but they knew that I loved them. And that I supported them. And that's the reason why they are now within purpose. But see, and that's the reason that, why I'm not, I'm not Heather. I'm mama. Doesn't that make you angry though? When you hear this, if there it is, does. if there is DEI training happening out there that is truly making any child come home, hating their skin color, it's not being done right. Why aren't they working with us to figure out like something is very wrong. If a child is coming home crying and embarrassed to be white, we, I, I have a hard time wrapping my head around DEI. I just, you know, and that's the thing about it is that me, and, and I'll give you another example tonight. One of my, one of my students, the former students that, I mean, he was my son, 
<laughs> I used to call him my son. His his mother ca calls me. This is his second mama. And guess what? We're having um, I'm having dinner with him and, and his um, fiance and his mom tonight because we still have a relationship. He graduated like nine years ago. We still have a relationship that and, and guess what? When he was in my he actually took African-American history and literature, my African-American history and literature class. I didn't teach him how to I didn't teach him at all that he needed to hate himself at all. As a but matter of fact, we have a, right. we have a joke because I told him I used to tell him, hey, listen, if you ever date a black girl and she has a fresh weave, bring home a rat tail comb. She'll love you forever because <laughs> you got to got to get underneath there and scratch because it itches sometimes. And we have that's like our running joke. He knows what to do. <laughs> I'm like, what do you bring if you're dating a black woman? What do you bring home? He says a rat tail comb. Um <laughs> But it just is one of those things where, no, teaching him about my culture and my experience doesn't denigrate his. See, this is the thing about it. And um, this whole thing with CRT, let me tell you what my honest um, assessment is. This isn't about the past. This isn't about anything except that they don't want to control how we view the past. They want to control how we'll view them in the future. Interesting. So by stopping these conversations, they are going to be able to still say, I wasn't racist. I want this. I wasn't this and that because they don't want people to learn what racist is. They don't want people to learn what bias is. They don't want people to learn what these concepts are, because then we have another lens through which to view them and their actions. So this, yeah, you know, they're they're arguing CRT and everything like that. There's a few different things I think are going is going on here too. Um, another thing I think is going on is is um, school choice. Oh yeah. If you noticed a lot of the t um, a lot of it mentioned, you know, the public schools, public schools, and then there was one woman from Clayton, I believe, that mentioned that her nearest private school cost thirty five thousand dollars, and. It was like a few different things that kind of hinted to it. So it's like, oh, this is about getting support from for school choice by denigrating public school. So that's number one. And then, well, that's number two, I guess, because my first theory. And then the third one is just that, hey, they're trying to maintain their connection to the base. They're trying to maintain the um, what got the base riled all up so that they can keep them motivated in order to stay in power. And so it ends up being a multiple on multiple levels, you know, but don't don't use my work. Don't use my culture. Don't use my history and don't use my experience in order to further what you what you want to further. I, I just, needless to say, you know, I move quietly sometimes, but um, this isn't the end. Oh, Heather's I'm, moving mountains right now. I'm in it for the long haul, baby. I'm in it for the long haul. So 
And there's um, just so much more that comes from diversity. It's not just about skin color. This also talks about just traditions, heritage, people who have disabilities, LGBTQ. We cannot erase all of these voices from the conversation. I feel very strongly that every mom, dad, parents should feel like their children are safe when their children are sent to school. And that's going to require a whole lot of work on everyone's part. That's going to require sensitivity uh, to different cultures and races. That's going to require understanding why it's important to use correct pronouns when somebody asks you to use a name or a pronoun that maybe makes you uncomfortable. Well, you being uncomfortable is nothing compared to the 50% statistic of suicidal ideation amongst transgender youth. It's just not comparable. It's like me saying that my child's favorite sandwich is, is peanut butter and, and he refuses to eat anything else. So he should be allowed to eat his peanut butter sandwich next to your child. That's highly allergic. I mean, we have to sometimes be uncomfortable. But here's the thing about it. Here's another thing, Delaney, is that basically the other thing that I heard is, um, my child shouldn't have to start doing the things that your child has had to do for years. Interesting. Wow. Because guess what? My child has had to accommodate whiteness for years and learn to navigate within it. Now I'm asking you to learn how to accommodate her blackness. And by blackness, what we mean is here are some of the experiences, common experiences that we have because we are black. And so guess what? You need to learn about it. You need to learn about it. You need to learn how to um, better accommodate it. And so I'm asking you to do what my and your children to do what my child has had to do for years, what I've had to do for years. And here's the other thing is that it was so there's so much too that is just you know it's like you y'all approached the point but didn't quite make the connection <laughs> you missed it you, yeah you got it yes. but not quite one of the things that upset me was that they kept talking about how they want to hide this from people they want to hide but but at the same time they went through one of the senators talked about these these are the things that, are, that upset people. So on one hand, you understood that there are certain words that perhaps if we're trying to engage in certain conversations, we should stay away from. But then you tried to use people giving that advice as a weapon against them. So if I'm sorry right now, saying social justice is a trigger word for people. So. Let's not use social justice because in the end, it, it doesn't matter what we call it. We want you to understand the concepts. So, yeah, this right here, I can point to something and say that's racist. But that's going to trigger some people. So maybe I use some other ways to, to say it. That shows implicit bias. That shows prejudice. And so they, they take these documents where people are saying, instead of this word, maybe use this word. Instead of that word, maybe use this word. And they're like, see, they're trying to hide something from it. No, they're trying to avoid what exactly what you're doing right now. They're trying to say, how can we best engage in these conversations so that we get to the point instead of having to argue semantics?
And you know, for a fact, I talk in my book about the fact that we spend way too much time arguing semantics. I'm not racist. Um, That's not the point. Okay. And in the end, we need to stop also treating racist as a horrible, horrible word, because here's the thing. Yes, there are some people that are horrible racist. But you know that I also teach that there's four different types of racism. Right. Four different types of oppression. It's the intentional racism that everyone thinks about when they think about racism and they don't want to talk about uh, most of the racism that I'll experience will be unintentional. It'll be from good people that aren't trying to be racist, but because they have been raised as canaries in a racist uh, mind, they've breathed it in all their lives. It is such a relief to get to the point of understanding all of this, to just admit to yourself and out loud, I am a good person. I have racist tendencies. Because I'm a good person, I am going to address and work through those biases, those tendencies, those things I've learned, what society has always told me. It's not that I'm a bad person that I have those thoughts. I'm a good person because I'm willing to talk about it. And that is so freeing because you're not hiding from this fear of somebody pointing a finger at you and calling you racist anymore. It's, yeah, I am. Let's talk about it. How can I do better? When I... Here's what people don't also don't understand as an African-American person. When somebody does something racist, that's not the moment I think of them as a bad person. Not necessarily. The moment I think of them as a bad person is when they double down on it. Mm. When I sit and I try to talk to you and I try to call it out and you double down on it. Now, that's when I consider you a bad person. But doing something I, the first thing in my mind that I'm thinking to myself is, well, um, perhaps they didn't know. So I take that moment. I'm an educator at heart. So I take that moment to try to educate and you still don't listen and you still want to double down. Now, at that point, you're OK with your racism. You're clinging to it. Now I think of you as a bad person, because at this point, it's, it is intentional. But it is, is that, intentional. Is that still amendable, though? Like you say, you think of them as a bad person. But is that a done deal? Let's say that person doubles down, triples down, refuses to have the conversation a week from now, two weeks from now. Can that person still learn? Yeah. And still come back and say, gosh, I had, I really was not thinking about this. I was not, I didn't have my my eyes and my ears open to you. Can we revisit this situation? Yes. Are you still open to that mm-hmm. from people? Mm-hmm. That's the reason why I get so bothered when people are like, oh, look at this tweet from 2014 where this person said A, B, and C. I don't know. What are they saying today? What are they doing today? That's what I care about. If they're still now, if we go back to a tweet from 2014 to show that there's been a steady pattern of racism, that's one thing. But to see that somebody has taking obviously anti-racist stands and then all of a sudden be like, oh, and play a gotcha game by going back to, you know, 2014. No, no, I disagree with that for just that reason, because people 
it, this is what they should be doing. They should be in a constant learning process. And so if you're in a constant learning process, there's some things, there's some things that I'm going to be honest, when I was growing up, there's things that I am super glad we didn't have social media back then, because if I had actually written down some of my thoughts and stuff, like, whoa, I'd be horrified. I'd be horrified. Not but me. I never said or did anything <laughs> questionable in the 80s and 90s. And if any of my college <laughs> friends are listening to this, I will pay you just, big bucks to remain smile quiet. And I, smile and nod, smile and nod. <laughs> no, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. We didn't grow up in an age and stage where absolutely everything was broadcast. Um, Heather. Yes. I'm getting texts. <laughs> You're supposed to be in a meeting right now. <laughs> Katie. She's probably sent hate mail. Okay. So we're going to wrap this up. We're already way past um, our usual time anyway. But hey, Delaney. Yes, Heather. I love you. I love you. And I will, I will, road, I will, I will road, road trip, trip with you. With you in time. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> See you next week. Thanks for listening to this episode. You can support us on Patreon by looking for the Listen, Learn, Love podcast or follow us on Facebook and Instagram at InPurposeES. That is I-N-PurposeES. You can also follow us on Twitter at InPurposeEA or visit our website at www.InPurposeEA.com. Heather, this was great. Do you want to do it again next week? I sure do, Delaney. Awesome. Talk to you then. Bye.